This is Helix and Jan Podcast, episode 24. we interviewed Dr. Niraj Kaushik, MD. He is the Director of Gastroenterology at St. Francis Hospital in New York. But that's just the beginning. As you'll find out, he is much more than that. He is a doctor who also teaches meditation to other doctors. And in this interview, we ask him questions such as, what kind of training do doctors get in nutrition? How does Dr. Kaushik define the word meditation? What is physician burnout and why is it increasingly happening? And much more. I really had a pleasure getting to know Dr. Kaushik, and there was so many things discussed in this interview that if you listen closely and follow his lead, you'll be sure to transform your health. At Helix and Gene, our mission is to marry science and spirituality through sequential movement and breath work. We interview top performers in their fields, such as Kia Miller, founder of Radiant Body Yoga, episode 22, and Dr. Stephen Gundry in episode 18. Be sure to check out the show notes for this and all previous episodes at helixandgene.com slash podcast. Without further ado, I bring you Sam, Dr. Kaushik, and myself. Enjoy episode 24. Hello, everyone, and welcome to podcast number 24, Helix and Gene Medical Wellness. Today, I have a very special guest, a friend of mine, as well as a client, um, as well as a very special person, Dr. Neeraj Kaushik. Welcome, Doc, to the show. Thank you so much, Sam. Excellent. And today, we also always, as always, have our co-host, Matt, here. Matt does all of our technical work in the background, all the magic and the editing and everything that gets done with is, Matt is responsible for. So, Doc, naturally, the first thing that most of our listeners want to know is, who is Dr. Kaushik, and a little bit about your background, a little bit about you know, where you went to school, how you ended up here, um, and how did you become one of the top gastroenterologists on Long Island? <laughs> uh, uh, thank you, Sam. First of all, let me start by thanking you and Matt for having me here for this podcast. Uh, and uh, you know, we've been meaning to do this for quite a few weeks, and finally uh, the stars have aligned. That, That's uh, right. Uh, we both have time on our schedules to do this, so I'm very excited to be here. Uh, We're I'm, very excited to have you. Thank you. Uh, I'm a gastroenterologist, like you said. Uh, I went to medical school in India in uh, Delhi University, and uh, after uh, finishing my medical school, I actually came to the U.S. Uh, to do my residency training, which was at SUNY Downstate Medical Center in Brooklyn uh, in internal medicine. And uh, from there on, I actually worked as an internist for five years in rural Pennsylvania, uh, starting a community health center and mostly working in uh, coal, coal country, um, <laughs> uh, serving underserved people. And uh, from there on, uh, you know, developed an interest in gastroenterology and looking, uh, and then I was uh, fortunate to get my GI fellowship training at the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center, which is one of the most uh, uh, prestigious and yes. uh, nationally ranked GI training programs and GI programs in the country as a whole. Uh, as part of my training, I also did advanced endoscopy training, so not just uh, regular uh, gastroenterology procedures, but also some advanced proce procedures, especially to do with cancer and uh, advanced therapeutic endoscopy. Um, I was faculty at UPMC for a while, and then eventually got recruited to uh, North Shore University Hospital as the director of their endoscopy program uh, about 14, 15 years ago. And uh, for the last uh, 10 years, I've been in private practice. And currently, uh, I'm also the director of gastroenterology at St. Francis Hospital, uh, which is uh, a nationally ranked uh, GI program uh, based on the U.S. Uh, News and World Report. Uh, so it, so that's been my journey in gastroenterology. It's been a very fulfilling and uh, 
uh, uh, I, I'm grateful to have had the career I've had so far. No, that's fantastic. So you went from Pittsburgh to New York, you got recruited here. And just a quick little backdrop is uh, the way Dr. Koshak and I met was we have a mutual friend from St. Francis, Dr. Gary Caselter, who, you know, for years has been telling me about you. And, and we briefly met a while ago where you were treating my father-in-law. That's right. That's <laughs> he, had right. A, he had a little issue with the hospital. And I remember, and, and, and Dr. Koshak is like, he's, he's telling me, he's like, you know, he was showing me his perfect squat <laughs> in, in the emergency room. And we're sitting there having a good time. And, you know, I got to tell you, it, it, that moment for me, really showed me how much you loved what you do in that intense atmosphere where you had your full focus on everything, yet you were still able to stop a second and, and go through something like that. And, and I, I found that to be so interesting because generally when you meet a lot of the doctors, especially in that atmosphere, they're so serious, <laughs> you know, and, and that was really cool. So that kind of was the first initiation for us in terms of getting to know each other. Um, so... Doc, you know, one of the things that I really, really love about, you know, you and, and, and your mindset um, is your, your, how much you pay attention to your health. And when you came to see me and we started working together, you know, that was one of the first things that, you know, you, you had such great questions, A, because obviously you have the medical background. But, you know, your, your, your discipline in taking on our program and in the way you did it um, was fantastic. And, you know, I want you to just uh, elaborate a little bit about your background in nutrition and understanding of foods or whatnot before you ever did our program. And where is it today from a gastroenterologist standpoint in terms of how you heal the gut? And, and, and we'll get into this conversation as we go. But Give me a little background about your your input and your intake on nutrition sure. a little bit. Yeah, uh, first of all, you know, I got to thank Gary for introducing me to you. Uh, in fact, <laughs> Gary was uh, uh, was one of the people that interviewed me when I initially interviewed at North Shore Hospital. <laughs> and he and I have been friends and colleagues for a long time. And uh, he's a phenomenal person. Uh, yes. So, you know, thank you to Gary for uh, introducing me to you. Absolutely. Thank uh, you. You know, when the things that we do as a gastroenterologist or any physician for that matter, you know, we're very focused at what we do. But I truly believe that, you know, fine, you know, we do our work and uh, we, we provide uh, both, you know, healing and caring and uh, uh, diagnosis and treatment for patients. But beyond every patient to me is a human being, right? And yeah. that's what I take very you know, that to me is the most gratifying part of my job. And that's the reason I love it. Yeah. Because, you know, I get to meet 40, 50 different people every day and I get to learn from everybody. And there's wow. very few professions where you can actually meet so many different people on a daily basis from diverse backgrounds and diverse life experiences. And, you know, essentially that's uh, who I am, you know, a constant learner in life from everybody. And, uh, whether it's a child or an adult or an older person. Uh, in terms of, uh, you know, I've always tried to take care of my health. I've lived an active lifestyle. Uh, uh, I play tennis a few times a week. Uh, uh, I've mostly been lean in my life, but uh, over the last few years, just with work and stress, you know, I found myself, and I've always been a vegetarian. Uh, initially started as because I was born and uh, for religious reasons in a family, our family did not eat meat. And as, grew, and as I grew older, you know, I was a vegetarian for ethical and spiritual reasons. Uh, and I've always been a vegetarian. So uh, plus, you know, fortunately, I've not been exposed to drugs, alcohol and smoking. So I think that uh, has, and I know patients that smoke and people in my family that smoke, it is very hard to give up. Yeah. So sometimes I think, you know, it was just fortunate that I never started. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Because when I started, I don't know how hard or easy it would have been for me That's to right. give up. Uh, uh, I do think of myself as a disciplined person because I think to reach the level of uh, professional uh, uh, achievements that uh, I've reached and going forward, you know, you do need discipline 
to uh, achieve things in life. Uh, and that's the kind of discipline that I brought to this program uh, when I did with you. Uh, also, I think the biggest thing was that, you know, this is something I wanted to do. Yeah. And this is something that I realized I needed to do, even though, uh, uh, you know, I take care of myself in terms of eating, in terms of uh, exercising, in terms of uh, I also meditate and I, uh, you know, teach meditation and stress relief and breathing techniques, both to the general population and to healthcare professionals and physicians. Uh, but I felt that somewhere along the line, there was something that was a little bit unbalanced, uh, especially I think relating to the to nutrition, because I, despite doing all of these things, over the last few years, I had some injuries. Uh, uh, you know, my knee was hurting, then I tore my meniscus. Uh, I got plantar fasciitis over the last few years. And I remember our first conversation, I said, you know, Sam, it's been a litany of things. One thing gets fixed and then something else happens. And then one thing gets fixed and something else happens. Uh, and also my younger daughter, who is uh, a, a very good tennis player, uh, was uh, has is, is in the Syosset School varsity tennis team, and she was looking for a trainer. And that's how I think you know another. Yeah. Uh, that's how I reached out to Sam for her, and then we started talking about myself. And it seemed that yes, you know, this would be something that I should do for myself as well as getting her into training with you. And uh, uh, you know, when we met. Uh, all gastroenterologists do get some training in nutrition. Uh, in fact... Uh, Can you elaborate on that? What, what, what do you mean by training in nutrition? So, I was always under the impression that doctors didn't get any nutrition training. Yeah, so that's very interesting because, you know, the most uh, divisions of gastroenterology, uh, for example, where I did my fellowship, it was called the Division of Gastroenterology, Hepatology, and Nutrition, mm. right? So that, uh, however, having said that, nutrition and and as a gastroenterologist we have to know how the body digests food absorbs right. food yeah. and, and assimilates food because a lot of diseases that we deal with have to do either with maldigestion or malabsorption or inflammatory conditions of the bowel or uh, you know surgically altered anatomy which can affect nutrition yes so having said that you know the training that we do get is mostly Yes, the physiology of how different components in your diet, carbohydrates, fats, proteins are digested and absorbed, uh, what happens in different disease states, uh, and uh, how to correct nutrition in terms of different disease states, right? However, somebody, is not, somebody that's not obviously diseased, how to fine-tune their nutrition so that the body can function at its optimum or peak performance, that's right. I should yeah. say, is not part of general GI training, right? <laughs> and I don't think that's part of general medical training well, in it, any case. It's almost against the philosophy. It doesn't treat a system. It hits it beforehand. Right, <laughs> exactly. So, you know, in terms of nutrition training that I received during my fellowship, people that, uh, and, and what we practice now, people that cannot swallow, cannot eat, you know, how do you give them different formulae, either through a feeding tube, uh, through the nose, through the mouth, into the stomach, into the intestine, or give them intravenous feeding for sick people, mm -hmm. right? Or if people have portions of their digestive tract taken out by surgery or diseases, how do you adjust different kind of, uh, uh, how do you adjust their nutrition so they can get optimal nutrition? Uh, but taking me, for example, you know, who... Uh, supposedly had a good diet, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, had over the last 20 years gained about 15, 17 pounds that no matter what I tried, couldn't get rid of. It was then starting to affect my tennis, my work. How do you optimize nutrition to increase that level where the body functions? I think yeah. that's where I found the coaching that you and Tanaz gave and the nutritional insights that I gained uh, to be very, very uh, helpful and insightful, uh, especially as it relates to inflammation that different kinds of foods can cause in your body. And something I remember that you said when I told you I'm a vegetarian and you said, you know, not to offend you, but 
in my experience, most vegetarians are basically grainitarians. <laughs> and they're not eating that many veggies, but they're eating more grains. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to me, that really kind of struck home. And, uh, and, and it did, uh, uh, you know, as I looked into my own nutrition and changed it and saw the effects it was having on my body, uh, a lot of it made sense. Yeah, and, and you know, that's a, that, that's a great breakdown. And I, I just want to say, you know, uh, uh, Dr. Koshik did such a fantastic job just, you know, going through the intense process that we put you through. Um, and, you know, one of the things that I wanted to allude to is what you said about the greenitarian. Yeah, you know, most people think that if you eat a vegetarian lifestyle diet, you're going to be healthy. Um, there is more out of shape and malnutritioned vegetarians out there than I can count. And it, it, it's because, you know, um, they're, we're just not taught. Like, you know, people don't realize the amount of vegetables that your body actually needs to consume. And, and one of the tests that we ran with you, you know, the, the food intolerance test that showed the inflammation, um, we were able to detect all of the stuff that was going on in your system and then, you know, put you through the process, retest you, and, and really show the difference about, um, you know, where your health score is and your inflammation responses to foods. Um, but, you know, what I want to get across to people is that you put in the work and made those lifestyle changes in order to get these results. And I think that's a big thing that a lot of people miss. They think, I'm going to tell them this big secret that doesn't exist. It's like, no, we're going to figure out what's going on and it's up to you to make these changes. And and you did, and, and you've made such incredible progress in your nutrition health as well as your fitness health because you know we do train in um our my system of zen yoga training and uh and and that's something that i I wanted to kind of transition a little bit into here because you know one of the things i loved most when gary first told me that you're coming he's like and, and I want to get to this later. You, you said something about it earlier, the sky breath meditation that you teach and, and, and tie this back in. But, you know, I love the fact that here is, you know, a physician that's coming to do the nutrition program who is a gastro doctor who understands about the gut and what needs to be done to heal it. And on top of it, you have the mindset where you already are somebody who meditates as being somebody who meditates every day myself. We have that in common. And we were able to connect on that right away. Um, I want to get a little bit into uh, the meditation aspect and the yoga aspect of your life and what it's done for you. Um, and, and, you know, well, let's start there. What, you know, what is meditation to you? How did you get started with meditation yourself um, and, and your yoga practice because, you know, you have a very strong yoga practice when I train you. You're, you're, you hit every move. You're very in tune with your mind, with your body, with your breath work. When did all that start? How did all that start? And how did you get it to here? Uh, uh, thank you. Uh, so, you know, growing up in India, I saw people doing yoga all around me, right? Whether they were grandparents or housewives or aunties or uncles. And, uh, but, but I never really learned yoga per se in India. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 1997, when uh, uh, I was working in Uniontown, Pennsylvania, we used to go to the YMCA. Uh, to to basically work out and uh, there was a studio there where uh, you know there were two yoga instructors Wade and Leslie and they were a husband and wife team and they had gone to India to train in Ashtanga yoga Mm. and they in a small town in the US is where I had my first (laughs) yoga teacher uh, and Ashtanga of all, of all forms of <laughs> exactly. yoga. That's a powerful so, form of yoga. Yeah. So, so that's where we did a lot of vinyasas and, you know, Ashtanga yoga. Yeah. And for three years, four years, while we were in Uniontown, you know, we had a very strong, both my wife and I did yoga three, four times a week, an hour at a time, uh, and got to learn some breathing and, and yoga postures and felt great. Uh, subsequently went into fellowship, you know, got a very busy lifestyle again, had kids, moved away from Uniontown, came to New York, <laughs> right. starting a 
uh, you know, start, starting a practice, starting a, a, a family, and starting anew. Uh, didn't practice as much, but it's you know it never left us. Uh, right, it doesn't. Right, That's right. Yeah, it never left us. Uh, and then about 13, 14 years ago, I heard about the sky breath meditation, which is uh, a breathing, uh, uh, a breath uh, based meditation technique. And uh, the cornerstone of the technique is called Sudarshan Kriya. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, the first time I did it was in 2006. And uh, the only regret I had at that time was, oh my God, why did I not do it sooner? Right. right? Yeah. And uh, so since that day, the breathing practice and the meditation, I can count probably on the tips of the fingers on my two hands, the, days, the number of days that I've missed in the last 14 years or so, yeah. right? So and that, we have that in common. <laughs> so, so, so breathing and meditation kind of became a part of my life, life yeah. which, you know, it's like brushing your teeth. That's right. Uh, and it has shown, uh, it, it has given to me in my life tremendous benefits, both as a person and as a physician. As a person, you know, it allows me to stay calm and relaxed and yet at the same time have complete awareness and focus right that's right uh 20 minutes of meditation is in my experience equal to several hours of deep restful sleep and on an average i sleep between four and a half to five and a half hours a day and i am energetic throughout the day and never feel like you know there's a lack of energy uh, at the same time, be, you know, breathing and meditation has helped me get in touch with myself. And I think once you're in touch with yourself and comfortable with your own self, you're comfortable no matter where you That's are. That's right, anywhere. And you're comfortable with others, right? And in my professional life, it's helped me to really connect. I always had a good connection with people. I just love people, per yeah, se. Yeah, we definitely do. Uh, <laughs> uh, but even then, you know, it's helped me to just connect at a much more deeper level uh, with people that come to see me even as patients. And there are so many times when other gastroenterologists refer some patients to me for special procedures, and I sit down and talk to them, and I'm always like interested in what's going on in their life, and I tell them, yeah, you know, I can do a procedure, but I don't think that's your problem. You know, I think your problem is more of this, 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 and if you do some breathing, some meditation, you know, that's probably going to help you more than me doing procedures or giving you or prescribing you some medications or tests. And, you know, doing that over the last 15 years, I've made innumerable friends. So patients of mine have just become friends of mine and co-meditators. And we breathe together and we meditate together. And it's been very fulfilling and enriching so, portion of my life. So... You know, my, my wife Tanaz and I, and, and she, she, she's the person that leads the charge in the coaching that was coaching you with the nutrition aspect of it. But, you know, her and I, when we, when you, when we first met, and we, were, we were very interested in the sky breath meditation. And, and we did it. I myself did it. My wife Tanaz did it. it was, it's a weekend course. Um, it was phenomenal. It was, it was such a, you know, it, it's, we say it's meditation, right? But meditation is such a broad word. There right. was so much um, literature and organized, um, organize, an organized platform that really not just went over meditation, breathing techniques, but a very good introspective look into life and to where you are and, and, and real, um, real uh, tools to be able to, handle situations and conversations and a lot of the lectures that you gave uh, I've personally found extremely not just intriguing but extremely helpful in you know learning so much about um, you know how to view a situation how to look at something from a response instead of a react standpoint uh, and and you know can you elaborate a little bit about the actual platform of the sky meditation and and what it entails and and how it works and you know you said you had done it but how did you get into teaching it exactly okay very good question thank you so the sky breath meditation is uh, one of the uh, 
uh, courses or workshops taught by the Art of Living Foundation. The Art of Living Foundation is a nonprofit organization uh, which is recognized by the UN and uh, it is uh, uh, present in more than 150 countries all over the world. Right. Uh, it was started by Sri Sri Ravi Shankar, who is the founder, uh, in 1981. And it started in India and then spread all over the world. And uh, it does uh, not only just teaching these stress relief or breathing and meditation workshops, but also a lot of humanitarian work, whether it is developing uh, uh, villages or rural development, uh, humanitarian work after natural or man-made disasters, uh, workshops for prisoners, and also for executives, uh, uh, corporate leadership, and uh, most recently what we've started is called the Healing Breaths Workshop, which is the Sky Breath Meditation taught to healthcare professionals. Uh, so how I did, uh, you know, I did uh, the Sky Breath Meditation Workshop, it used to be called the Art of Living Course back in 2006. And at that time, it was a six-day course. Now mm -hmm. it's been condensed to uh, a three-day weekend workshop, yeah. about 10 hours in total, yeah. without mm -hmm. sacrificing any of the content of the course. Yeah. And uh, basically, during the workshop, uh, through instructors that have been trained, uh, one learns specific breathing techniques, and what basically, uh, and a very specific breathing technique called Sudarshan Kriya, which is a rhythm-based breathing technique that essentially helps to reset your rhythm to the rhythm of the self. And through the course, you know, we go through the different levels of our existence, the yeah. body, the breath, the mind, uh, the intellect, the memory, the ego, and the self, right? Yep. And, uh, uh, there are processes during the workshop that are more interactive. What's something I'd like to call like cognitive reframing. Uh, just like what you were alluding to, you, you're given uh, practical tools. Yes. There's very, very simple tools, but very profound that you can use in your day-to-day -day life. And we call them the keys to happiness. And there are five different keys that we go over. And at the end of the workshop, uh, you have a practice that you can do daily, which is breath-based, yes. leading into meditation. And at the same time, you have all these practical tools and tips to apply in your day-to-day -day life. Uh, and, uh, you know, so that's the basic workshop. The Art of Living Foundation also has other deeper workshops, so silence retreats. Yeah. Uh, uh, where, where they may be, before COVID, everything was residential. So you would go into a, silential, a, a residential silence retreat for about a week or five days or three days. And then there are other courses, yoga courses. So that's how I got back into yoga, uh, uh, into, into practicing yoga. My, my wife actually became a yoga instructor through the Art of Living Foundation. Uh, both my wife and I became instructors uh, through the Art of Living. So. It's a very rigorous uh, yeah. uh, training for teachers to become a teacher for the Art of Living Foundation to be able to teach these workshops. There are certain criteria that you have to meet. You know, there are certain number of courses that you've had to have taken, uh, prerequisite work, uh, prerequisite things that you have to do and pass, and then eventually there's like a three-week intensive uh, teachers training course, uh, residential. And in my course, there were about uh, 60 people from all over the world that wow. came and we had it in North Carolina. It was one of the best three weeks that I spent. Uh, you know, and uh, so it's a worldwide community and uh, there are people that are breathing and meditating right now as we are talking here, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> doing yeah. the sky breath meditation and the Sudarshan. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a really good program and, and, and as Doc alluded to it, it's a, it, it's, there's so much that it gives you and there's so many options that, that, that it allows you to do it. it. You know, one of the things I found very interesting about it um, <clears throat> was the different variations of meditation that right. we learned in a three-day basis. Uh, you know, as obviously, you know, when we work together, I teach my forms of, you know, meditation that come from 
more of a um, Eastern Zen philosophy and, and, are, and are, you know, combined with the Kundalini and the Ashtanga breath work. However, you know, the, the system, one of the, I'm a systems guy, as you know, you know, and one of the things I loved about, you know, the, the sky breath meditation was how systematic it was. And, you know, you can really, from a scientific standpoint, you can measure specific things through a system. And, and, and from a spiritual standpoint, you can measure things based on how you feel, you know, and, and, and somewhere in the middle lies, you know, the connection. And, you know, in terms of the word meditation, right, I think it's such a vast word. And, and I, I want to kind of just get your definition after all of the work that you've done, you know, whether it's with me or with sky breath meditation or on your own, you know, what, what does that word mean to you? It's such a broad word. And I like to really get into that with you a little bit. That's a, such a fascinating question. Um, so, you know, coming to, I, I'll come to that in one second, but, yeah. uh, uh, just, uh, you know, the you said about I'm a systems guy, I like to measure things, right? And yeah. many times when you're doing things that do not have tangible measurements, yes. how do you measure the benefit of it or outcome of it? Having said that, there's a lot of data now that's available yes. to the benefits of meditation, yes. to the benefits of mindfulness. Sky breath meditation and Sudarshan Kriya itself has been studied in rigorous research trials. And what has been shown is that it does help uh, in decreasing the level of stress hormone called cortisol. Yep. It increases the level of uh, oxytocin, the, mm -hmm. you know, the love hormone. The love hormone. <laughs> uh, it increases the expression of genes that code for uh, antioxidant enzymes, catalase, superoxide, dismutase, uh, and in patients uh, with anxiety and depression and PTSD, there's a lot of yeah. uh, programs that the Art of Living Foundation does for veterans mm. and uh, uh, people returning from war. Uh, and even taking one session of sky breath meditation course, even if they don't practice it subsequently, three months, six months, and 12 months down the line, their PTSD scores were much lower, statistically lower compared to people wow. that did not do it. So it does affect your physiology where it changes something within the physiology. 100%. Uh, <laughs> some of it has to do with the vagus nerve because yes. it does increase your parasympathetic tone. The processes that we do uh, uh, during the sky breath meditation workshop increases the uh, parasympathetic tone, tone going through different energy centers in the yep. body. And, uh, uh, the, you know, a lot of it involves breath work. And I think some, you know, to me, your classes that I do with you on Saturdays are so good for me because a lot of it does involve breath work. Yeah. And I know you comment again and again that, you know, hey, it's easy for you to do this breath work because I think, you know, that's something tangible that I know to do. Yeah. And I have done for 15 years. Uh, and uh, most of the times we are kind of, clueless to the fact that we're even breathing. That's right. Right? And the first act that we do in our life is breathe in. Breathe in. And the last act that we do in our life is breathe out. Yeah. Everything else that happens in between is called life. That's right. And the sky breath meditation workshop and the healing breath meditation workshop, healing breath workshop for the physicians and healthcare providers essentially uses this tool, the breath that we have available to us to harness the power of the self, to help us connect to the mind, to help us connect to the emotional state that we have, and use the power of the breath to, I wouldn't say control it, but to modulate it so that we can function at our most optimum, right? Now coming to your question of what to me is meditation, yeah. right? So uh, to me, you know, meditation is, being in a state where you're calm, you're serene, things are happening around you, and things are happening inside of you. You can be 100% focused and aware, and yet relaxed. Yeah. So that's, 
you know, I that's, love that. Yeah, that's so that's right. yeah. that's you know, to me that's meditation. Yeah. Right, and people can find meditation in work. Right. Sometimes when I'm doing a very complex procedure. Yeah. And I automatically get into that zone. Yeah. Right. Where I'm completely hyper acutely aware of every little thing happening yeah. with my hands, with the patient's body. The nurse may be behind me, but if she moves or does something, I'm aware something is happening. Yeah. Right. Uh, you may be a painter and you may meditate while painting, creating a masterpiece. Right. Sometimes we all fall into we've all had this experience. We go to the beach and we look at a beautiful sunset. Yeah. Right. And we fall into that state where we're completely calm, serene, happy. Yeah. And yet hyper aware of everything around us. So that's meditation that's brought on by the environment. Similarly, music. Doctor, that was a, that was a, an amazing answer. And I just I want to point out that you did not say that meditation is sitting cross-legged, sitting still. <laughs> yeah, <right>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yes, yeah. You know, with your with your eyes closed right. and like, you know, struggling to stay sit still for 20 minutes, which that's like the path to maybe get there to get I mean, this is a question, but you know, how do how does someone get there, you know, when yeah. they're do they do they need this practice daily? Yeah. That's a very good question. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. A lot of people have this thing. Oh, you meditate. You must be seen. And you know, a lot of people have. Oh, meditation is focus. Or you know, I got to see the center of you know this light pulsating or something. Or you know, these uh, halos or you right. know whatever. Yeah. So uh, and Sri Sri Ravi Shankar, who's the founder of the Art of Living, has something very beautiful that I kind of say to others and share with others. And he said basically, for you to meditate, there are three preconditions. One is that I want nothing. Right? If you're wanting something, that takes you away from getting wherever it is that you're wanting to be. Second is, I am nothing. And third is, I do nothing. Mm -hmm. right? So it's that sense of nothingness. Yeah. And I think everything that's creative, everything that's good, everything that's peaceful comes out of that space where there's that nothingness and serenity and peacefulness. But yeah, you know, it's not cross-legged, trying to focus or trying to take your mind or visualizing or imagining things. It happens effortlessly. There are many ways to get there. Sky breath meditation and Sudarshan Kriya is one way, right? Uh, another course taught by the Art of Living Foundation called the Sahaj Samadhi or effortless meditation. It's a mantra-based meditation. There's mindfulness, related techniques. So there's various ways of getting there, right? So Yeah, you know, I, 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 I want to kind of jump in a little bit here because okay. this is so interesting. You know, and, and, and Matt, you know, you said people, I think the general consensus in the West is, you know, when someone thinks about meditation is that. They think it's a guy sitting on top of the mountain or some sort of a bald Buddhist monk or a, 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 a Hindu guru holding a pose you know right. like and and that's the that's the image that we have you know but i do think you know the how do you get there right and and it's almost like to me that picture of meditation is like saying well what is basketball and showing a picture of michael jordan you know and but michael jordan didn't become michael jordan overnight you know there is a there is a level of commitment on a daily basis you know uh and that like anything else in life right like you have to put in that work and there are different ways and there are different you know techniques and you know for me what i've found is to get to that state matt where you can sit quiet and breathe and and get into that you have to have some sort of physical exertion that is really detailed and controlled and guided through um, breath work, movement, holds, and that's kind of where the practice of yoga touches on a lot of these things, you know, right. or Tai Chi or Qigong or any of these other forms of movement meditations that allow your mind to slow down. Naturally, in our crazy, busy, everyday lives, you can't just shut it off and sit there and quiet down. You have to physically exert to a certain extent. Um, and 
you know, there's no substitute for the actual work. You're able to do this and teach this because, you know, I, and, and I know it because I do it myself. I get up at 4 a.m. every day and meditate seven days a week. You are the same type of disciplinarian with that. So I just want to really get across that, yes, that is not the definition of meditation. However, in order to have what Dr. Koshik has in terms of his life, his happiness, his that didn't happen by accident. It, it, it is the continuous work that gets put in. And to me, that is the meditation. There's not one day that you hit enlightenment. Right. The daily work that you put in into your practice is the enlightenment. <laughs> exactly. No, very well said, Sam. You know, it's the process. Yeah. And it's not that, oh, I'm going to do, do, do this, 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 and I'm going to reach here, and now I'm meditating, and now I'm enlightened. <laughs> right? That's right. So, <laughs> uh, and and, and uh, just like with anything else, you know, discipline, That's uh, right. doing it regularly, having a teacher definitely helps. Yes, absolutely. Right? Whether yes. it's yoga, whether it's breath work, yes. uh, whether it's music, whether it's learn it the somewhere. practice of medicine, yeah. uh, having a teacher really helps to make your path easier, and... Uh, you know, and even a teacher is somebody that shows you the path, right? That's right. Shows Some, you the outline. Sometimes you may, the teacher may point to you and say, hey, you see the star? Which star? The one behind the branch of the tree to the right. <laughs> right? The branch has nothing to do with the star. The teacher is showing you the star. The branch is just the pathway that they are showing you. Yeah. So that's the role of the teacher, right? And that's where I see when I'm teaching these workshops, where I see when I'm coming to your studio and learning uh, the different movements and the breath work uh, that we do together, right? You're in that role, a teacher to me, when I'm teaching the workshop to different people, I, that's my role. Yeah. Is They will find it on their own, but that's I'm right. just helping guide them. My One of my favorite quotes is, the best teacher is the one that shows you where to look and not what to see. Exactly. And, you know, it, it's, you know, and, and with, with, with my system, I always tell people, I'm not a guru. I don't have any answers for you. But physiologically and spiritually, due to 20 years of application and study, whether it's been by myself or under somebody else, I've developed an outline for you right. that can help you find whatever I call Zen means to you, right? So it there is no place, there is no thing, there is no aha, there is no answer. It, it's the work that allows you to kind consistently over time progress yourself to be able to get into that state. Um, and I think, you know, the fact that someone like you is now doing this for physicians is fantastic because... If there's something that's very much separated and lacking, you know, in the physician's world, and I have a lot of contact with a lot of physicians in what I do, it is that aspect is very much missing. And you're the living proof, essentially, that shows if you apply that and you do that, how much of a better person, a better physician, a better practitioner you can be by being just a little bit more mindful, you know, and of, of yourself. So um, how do you get something like this out to more physicians? Where, how do you get the mindset of that medical world that's so rigid in that schooling? <laughs> uh, how do you get their attention to be able to look in this world? And, and, and I'll let you jump on in a second, but, you know, Look, we are living, like you said earlier, in a time which is very exciting for me that we are now starting to we are now starting to have the tools to be able to measure a lot of what the ancient monks and the gurus have been talking about for years, you know, in understanding brain waves and, and all the different hormonal levels that can be shifted through watching and, and studying this kind of meditation. We're now in a place where almost spirituality and science is, is instead of falling apart, it's actually starting to mesh and mold. Right. So how do you get the doctors to kind of open the eyes and, and, and become more receptive? And do you find them to be receptive? Do you find them to be a little more standoffish? Those are all fantastic questions, Sam. Uh, you know, I think there's a 
little bit of a difference in the West versus the East, where spirituality and science have been kind of married together in the East for a yes. long time. And in the West, science and spirituality have been very distinct. Very, yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, for example, we know that people that meditate sleep better, you know, they, they just have kind of more peaceful. And now we can measure, for example, with the sky breath meditation or Sudarshan Kriya, people that practice that on a daily basis have much, when they have studied EEG waves during sleep, for practitioners that practice it regularly, there's much more time spent in the deeper stages of sleep, the stage yeah. three and four. Uh, when we've done MRIs on, uh, on, uh, on people that do uh, Sudarshan Kriya and meditation regularly, their gray matter is more, right? So yeah. now, just like you said, we can measure all these things. Uh, heart rate variability is something we touched upon during yes. our last session. Yeah. You know, that's significantly impacted by the practice of Sudarshan Kriya. Uh, so uh, how do we get it to physicians and healthcare providers? It's, it takes a different kind of person. You know, so most people that go into medicine, right, go for, because, go for a reason because they want to serve people. You know, they, are, they feel responsible for others. They want to give to society. They want to give to people. And with that comes a sense of always being a giver or a caregiver. Yeah. And what gets neglected in that is self-care. That's right. Right? And uh, so, so, you know, to tell physicians, hey, you got to take more responsibility. <laughs> you know, they already take a lot of responsibility. Well, it's others. the responsibility of yeah. the self, yeah. you know, and, and, and something I always yeah. allude to is when it comes to meditation and Zen training, when someone comes to me, I go, this is the place where you learn to become super selfish so yeah. you can become more selfless. Exactly. <laughs> That's a very nice way of putting it. You know, because, right, right because yeah. you, how do you give yourself to somebody when you're right. lacking? It's not exactly. authentic, right? Yeah. Like you sit here and when you talk about meditation, it's very evident and obvious that this is your life. You're not preaching a course that you're trying to teach. Right. You're sharing an experience that you live. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you yeah. know, and, and, and that is priceless. I think, you know, for me, I, what I've noticed with physicians is, you know, the, 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 it, it almost, it has to start at the top, right? It almost has to start with, the way I look at this, and correct me if I'm wrong, you know, you're, 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 you know, and and I've talked to guys such as Patrick O'Shaughnessy, and you know, he's been a guest on our show, and you know, in in how do you get a a world here to become more receptive, and 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 it it's not easy because the mindset is so caught, you know, in one tunnel, right? So. It has to start, in my opinion, from either a base level of education <laughs> where a course becomes medically accepted and gets taught through medic, you know, medical school right. uh, for nutrition, for meditation, or it becomes a added measured activity that is done through the, the overall head corporation for its physicians where they can really partake in something and have a benefit by doing it. Right. Um, and I, I just kind of wanted to get your take on, on that. And, and, you know, that is where I think we need to start. Yeah, uh, absolutely, Sam, because, you know, and more and more recently, um, both healthcare systems and physicians and physician organizations are recognizing the need for something like this, right? Because... Yeah. When I was in training or when I was a younger physician, never heard the term burnout, right? But yeah. now we're always hearing the term burnout. burnout right. And, you know, what really is burnout? And it, there are three components to physician burnout. And one is depersonalization. Emotional exhaustion is the second one. And the third is a decreased sense of self-worth or self-accomplishment. Right? And burnout happens in physicians and healthcare providers for various different reasons. Some reasons are completely out of your control. You know, the hospital changes its uh, EMR system. Now you've got to learn something new. There are administrative burdens. There are financial burdens. 
there's always the fear of uh, malpractice or litigation, mm -hmm. right? And there are just too many pressures. Uh, so how do you... To treat burnout is much, much harder than to prevent burnout, <laughs> right? Yeah. And then self-care is one aspect of trying to prevent burnout. And secondly, what you alluded to is what can you do as a system so that your yeah. physicians, your nurses, your therapists do not feel burnout? Yeah. Because once there is burnout or they're feeling stressed, everything suffers. And ultimately, what suffers is the person that we are there for, That's patient right. care, That's right? Exactly right? If you're not happy, if you're feeling burned out, no matter how well-trained you are, the care that you give is going to suffer. 100%. So for systems, it's very important to know that, you know, and even it's very costly if there's a mid-level physician and that physician leaves because of burnout. To replace that physician is close to a million dollars. Yeah. You know, so if there's 10 people leaving a year, that's $10 million that they have to use, find from somewhere to replace those people. So it becomes very important for systems, healthcare systems, corporations, yeah. uh, our professional organizations like the AMA, American College of Gastroenterology, American Gastroenterological Association, in my case, being a gastroenterologist, uh, to have available to our members, to have available to our staff, something that's structured, something that not only just helps people take care of themselves, but helps team building, helps change the culture of the place. That's right. Because that's where once everybody comes from a space of being more centered, caring for each other, listening to each other, better teamwork, then all these issues will decrease. And I think, you know, as once the leadership starts to recognize, hey, this is something that if we bring into our institution. And yeah. you know, research needs to be done. There have yeah. to be outcomes, right? Yes, you, that's so right. this is an intervention, we do this. What's the outcome? And let's measure it, Yeah. right? Let's measure it in residency. Okay, th these are a group of residents that did meditation training, breath work, or this. Let's see their outcomes in terms of teamwork, progress in exams, what kind of physicians, what kind of feedback they're getting from patients versus a cohort that did not, yeah. right? Yeah. And then we, so I think that paradigm has to shift a little bit in medical education, in graduate medical education, which is residency, yeah. and in hospitals and health systems. Yeah. Not just having, oh, we have an employee assistance program. When That's you're right. depressed and you don't want to quit your job, or when you're feeling like, when you're having a panic attack, come and talk to us anonymously. Yeah, you know that's what most hospitals I, have. It, it's amazing yeah. to me because it's that so doesn't work. Right. You know, it's like the American Dietetic Association that you know is like, you know, when I hear sometimes nutritionists tell me, but that that's that's what the American Dietetic Association says, and I'm like, one out of four people is obese <laughs> in this country. They're obviously not doing something right. And I'm not knocking on them. Right. Don't get me wrong. But you know, but but there is a there is a there is a place where you have to stop and go, okay, you know, Einstein's definition of insanity, right? Doing the same thing over and over again on a daily basis and expecting a different result. Like exactly. you're not gonna get a different result. Like you have to shift that paradigm. Right. And I wanna segue with this conversation a little bit into what just took place in the world with right. COVID, right? And with COVID taking place the way it did, and that was a grounds where I think hospitals and the hospital workers came together more than almost any other industry, right? And, and right. there is a sense of collaboration. And how do we use this momentum in a positive way to get across this kind of message? And that, hey, look, when everybody collaborates and, 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 and yeah. you know, and that's the one angle, what happens and the productivity level, A. And B, um, you know, there is going to be a backlash physiologically and psychologically post-COVID for both uh, patients who suffered from it, but also people that were saw things and, and, and lived through it inside the hospitals um, and, and were affected by it. So 
uh, to me, it's like, well, what a great time, right? <laughs> Sam, uh, you know, exactly. Uh, there have been studies where uh, projection is that healthcare providers, physicians, nurses, and other people at the front line of taking care of COVID patients over the last year or so, there is a predicted pandemic of PTSD. Yeah, that's going to happen. I would only imagine, right? I mean, right. It's like being in a war. That's right. Except, at least in the initial part of the war, there was not even armor that you could wear to the war. You don't know right? what you're the fighting. La lack of PPE, <laughs> the lack of knowledge, the lack of right. so much uncertainty, and seeing so much. And a lot of emotional trauma, right? Yeah. Because even when we cannot do anything for our patients, we could give them a hug. We can have the family together. You know, we could make the passing of somebody a little bit more humane. And so many of us saw so many patients die isolated, not having seen their family. They were dropped off to the hospital, and three weeks later, they're dead. Yeah. And nobody saw them. You know, nobody held them. Nobody... And so the people that were at the front lines, the nurses, the physicians, the ICU workers, FaceTiming family members, there's a lot of emotional trauma that has yeah. happened. And, uh, you know, towards that, over the last year, I've been busy along with many other uh, physician teachers from the Art of Living Foundation, where we taught more than 1,200 physicians these... Uh, I love that. Great. Uh, these uh, healing breath and healing breath uh, workshop uh, and the demand is unbelievable you know we don't have uh, uh, you know there's people that keep coming and systems that keep coming and you know we taught courses at uh, the National Children's Hospital George uh, Georgetown University Hospital uh, hospitals in Arizona and then just community physicians nurses therapists and unless there is an intervention that we can do to help physicians and healthcare professionals cope with this in the future. There is going to be a very severe mental health challenge that healthcare professionals are going to face in the face of the COVID pandemic, which is still ongoing. I mean, yeah. we haven't seen the end of it. This is no. something I think we're going to have to adapt to and live with in the long run. And right, and who knows? If something like this can come back again, you know, I mean, it's it's easy to say, oh, this happens once every hundred years. Right. Well, yeah, until it happens in three years again. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's like no, exactly, you know, just looking from uh, the first SARS yeah. outbreak and the Ebola. You know, That's the world right. is the world is much smaller than it That's used right. to be a hundred years ago. Nobody traveled the, the way we did to do today, the way they a hundred years yeah. ago. You know, so who knows how often this would have happened? Exactly. You know. Um, and, and alluding to that a little bit, uh, I, I want I know you recently got vaccinated and I know this, this stuff like this are hot topics, right? About, um, what is the vaccine and what does it do to you? Right. You know, is it going to make you grow a third leg? <laughs> you know, like, and, uh, you know, is, is, is it going to have long lasting effects on your body? Right. You know, as a physician and what you know about these RNA vaccines as, and as, as, and what you know about the body in general, um, how much hesitation did you have to take this vaccine? I had zero hesitation Love in that. taking Thank the vaccine. Thank you, yes. <laughs> I mean, the day, the day that it came out and I could sign up, I went in and, uh, you know, took the vaccine. Because I think we in medicine do a lot many more things that have much less science behind them than the vaccine. Right. You know, this vaccine, big trials all across the world, thousands of patients, very good efficacy, uh, and the science behind it is just amazing. Yeah. You know, even like 20 years ago, this kind of vaccine would not have been developed. Uh, and with the new technology, using the mRNA technology, it becomes easy to manipulate once the virus mutates, right? Mm -hmm. And it becomes fast to produce, and it's more effective. And, you know, people, I mean, there's a lot of disinformation out there about yes. nanoparticles and this and that, and it's going to remain in your system. Uh, that's just a lipid particle to keep it stable because mRNA itself is very, very unstable. Uh, but, and that's why it has to be kept at a low temperature, mm -hmm. right? But apart from that, there are other vaccines that are not mRNA vaccines. They're also very effective. So my suggestion and advice and recommendation would be if you can get a vaccine 
And if you have an appointment, go and get it yeah. and take it. Because to me, there was no hesitation. In yeah. fact, right now, you know, my parents are on the list. As soon as some appointment opens up, I want them to take it. Because yeah. the more people take the vaccine, the sooner we can get this under control. And, you know, when people ask me all the time in the field that I'm in, what do I think about it, right? Because I play in that middle ground of the holistic and the medical. And, right. You know, it's like, where do you, what what, what are your thoughts? And, you know, I go, I go if, if nothing else, let's look at the, the two sides. If you were to get COVID, something we barely know anything about, and you're worried about long-term effects, the risk of whatever that can do to your system, long-term effect, could be a lot worse than a vaccine that we actually know a lot about that right. that we've we've created that you can put into your system. So right. just the logic of it alone, based on that little thing, tells me to say, you know, it, it, this is something that everybody should do right away. And, and I'm not I'm somebody, by the way. Let me clarify. I don't take a flu shot. I don't want to put it in my body. But as soon as I'm available for this shot, I will go take it as well because the backdrop of what this represents currently in where we are in society and what I can do for my part as a citizen far supersedes, you know, any risk that I may be worried about that can possibly do something that, by the way, has no, there is no, there is no indication that, that there is such a thing to begin with anyway. Right. You know, I mean, some people may have truly an allergic reaction to the vaccine. That's, that's different, it. though, right? You know, yeah. but there's no like long-term uh, virus staying in your body or doing some things or altering your own DNA or fertility and all these questions that right. are arising. Having COVID or severe COVID and having to either die or be seriously sick and having to deal with the consequences of COVID for months and months together, if you can avoid it. I have a very good friend who was in the hospital for 39 days. He was in the hospital for 53 days, intubated for 39 days. He's been out of the hospital since May. He's had two subsequent surgeries. He's going to live with this for the rest of his life. Right. Right. And if by me taking a shot, I can prevent that from happening to right. me. That's I'm going to do it. Right. That's, yeah. that's the only argument I give. I, and I, I love that. Um, so, you know, I, I, we've, we've covered a very, very vast, uh, you know, group of subjects and topics. And, you know, I want to kind of start grounding us back and rounding us up in, um, in, 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 and, you know, you and I chat all the time and, and we can sit here for hours, but, you know, in, in keeping it this in the 1.0 version of our podcast for today, um, I want to end with, just letting our audience know, uh, you know, if if they're looking for you for your services uh, in terms of you know what you do professionally, both from a uh, gastroenterology practice standpoint, as well as if they want to sign up for the art of living, you know, where would they go? And 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 by the way, we'll have all this in the show notes as well. So, uh, but I just want Dr. Kushak to just give us a little bit of uh, a backdrop on what that is. Thank you, Sam. Uh, so my office is right here in East Hills, Greenvale, uh, and uh, off of Northern Boulevard, about five minutes from St. Francis Hospital. Uh, my practice is called LI Gastroenterology Endoscopy PC. My phone number is 516-590-3700. And, uh, you know, anybody that I can help professionally, I'm more than happy to. In terms of uh, the sky breath meditation and uh, uh, the uh, breathing workshop, uh, they can go on to artofliving.org put in your zip code, find a course near me, and wherever they may be in the world, they'll find a course. Uh, right now, because of the pandemic, a lot of courses are on Zoom. In fact, all courses are in Zoom. Right. <laughs> <laughs> are on Zoom, so you can attend any course anywhere. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, that way uh, we find it. Uh, but, yeah, those are very... Uh, uh, important questions and thank you for asking that yeah absolutely um, i think it's you know part of the awareness is letting them know where to go and where to look sure right? so 
Um, so without you know further ado, Doc, I want to thank you so much for appearing on the show today. Um, Matt, do you have anything you want to chime in on here before we round up and close? I mean, thank you, Sam. What I'll say is, I mean, Doctor, that was a fascinating interview, and and you know if more healthcare practitioners can follow your lead, I think that a lot of non-healthcare practitioners will start to follow suit, and the effect will be amazing. And you know those tools are all available. It's like you said, some people can come into your office and you will turn them away from getting a procedure and tell them to go, you know, remember how to breathe correctly. And that right. might fix the problem. Right. And these are the things that we can do to help each other. Thank you so yeah. much. And Sam, I really want to thank you and Tanaz because you've helped me tremendously. You're helping my family uh, in terms of fixing our nutrition <laughs> and fixing our health. I can tell you personally, you know, I'm 20 pounds lighter and people see me and they're like, wow, you look great and I feel great. And the one thing that, you know, Sam did for me initially was measure our uh, metabolic age and it yeah. was five years more than my chronological age. And the last time we measured three or four weeks ago, it was eight years less than my chronological yeah. age. And that happened within like six weeks of doing the program. So the program really works it is phenomenal. I've enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, I'm learning new things every day. So thank you so much. No, and I enjoyed being on this uh, show. Thank you for having me. Our pleasure. It's a pleasure having you. And, and Dr. Kaushik did our Wellness 40 program uh, that you can find on our website, helixandgene.com. Um, and, uh, it, you know, it's for, for me, I love working with physicians personally uh, more than anything because, you know, you guys have a great understanding of the science that we do and, uh, and, and you can truly get a sense of appreciation um, for, for, for everything. And uh, now with all the testing that's available and all the measurements, like you said, that we can do, um, hopefully we can marry the nutrition and the spiritual world with the physicians a little bit more and come together and get this world to become better than it is. So with that being said, Doc, it was a pleasure as always. And I'm looking forward to doing a 2.0 version of this with you soon. Perfect. Thank you so much, Sam. Matt, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Well, there you have it. Fascinating interview with Dr. Niraj Kaushik, and I really do hope that more healthcare practitioners follow his lead, and the rest of us who are not on the front line should as well. To connect with Dr. Kaushik, he can be reached at LI Gastroenterology Endoscopy PC at 2200 Northern Boulevard in Greenvale, New York. His phone number, as he stated, is 516-590-3700. And you can read more about him at ligastroendo.com. That's L-I-G-A-S-T-R-O-E-N-D-O.com if you're interested in his professional services as a doctor. To learn more about the Sky Breath Meditation, you can find online courses or a course near you when physical workshops resume at theartofliving.org. That's A-R-T-O-F-L-I-V-I-N-G.org. All right, until next time, this is the Helix and Gene Podcast. You can find us at helixandgene.com slash podcast. <laughs>